0: Thank fan for fan line and blessings to you for checking out today's podcast. At some historical documentation to see if there is any validity to what I have said in regard to the lie about the inferiority of the black man. If we do not know what causes our thinking patterns about other people, we can never make any corrective adjustments. Before we get into the historical documentation, I feel it necessary to address the possible criticism that may be leveled at me from some African-Americans concerning why would I bring up racism, racial prejudice, slavery, and all of the other unpleasant things of the past. Actually, that is a very legitimate question. And frankly, I don't mind being asked. From a book entitled The Journey of the Songhai, or Songhai, however you want to pronounce that, people, copyright 1987 by Calvin R. Robinson, Redmond Battle, and Edward W. Robinson, Jr., the authors answer this question for me in a way that leaves little room for debate. On page 21, they state, and I quote, knowledge of race history is to the race exactly as an individual's memory is to that individual the masses of african americans suffer suffer from partial cultural amnesia because of a certain deliberate program which wiped the slates of our memory is clean of true african events prior to the cotton fields of america but the monsters who perpetrated this cultural genocide were not satisfied after wiping the memory slates clean they wrote upon those slates a series of vicious lies they wrote on the slates on the minds of all black and white alike that the african is really an ape which can speak they wrote on the slates of the minds of all that the african evolved in the heartland of the jungles of africa where not even the faintest glimmer of the light of science and learning could penetrate. They wrote on those slates that this African subhuman has neither the genetic ability to learn nor the ability to behave properly. They program all of this upon the minds of all, black and white alike. End of quote. I agree with this. Because the history of this nation bears it out strongly. On page 23 and 24 of the same book, they ask an important question and answer it superbly. I quote. Now, I want you to to get this. I realize I read this. We did this last time, but that was at the end. And this is my intro into what we want to talk about today. But I want this to be fresh in your mind as I make the next transition. Now, you, you have to, as I said last time, you've got to get this. I want you to hear this. I quote, why study modern history or any history at all? Two of the greatest benefits that can be derived from the knowledge of history is not only the receiving of a better understanding of the present, but more importantly, that knowledge of history will provide the information with which to shape the future. Place yourself in the position of a successful businessman who, as a result of, of an accident has a sudden loss of your memory. You would not know where your office is, nor how to get there. You would not know what successes you had achieved, what you are supposed to do today, nor how to plan for future successes, for all of your knowledge and experience would be entirely lost. You would have to start all over again. You would not know the reasons for your present situation. You could not call on experience and knowledge to plan for a successful future. If your business rivals stole your records, they could tell you all kinds of falsehoods. They could reduce you to an impoverished, blubbering idiot. That condition is called amnesia. Amnesia is not just limited to individuals, a whole race can have amnesia. It is a truism that history is to the human race what memory is to the individual. End of quote. Now that's awesome. But how true. And I know that there will be African Americans who are fearful of the white backlash, the possible backlash from this series. And uh, they see me, probably, they will see me as an agitator. But you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. Nothing I can do about that. And they'll be slightly embarrassed because of my approaching this subject the way I have approached it. But be that as it may, our, one of our great problems as black people, people of color in this country, has been exactly what these gentlemen in that book have proclaimed our memory banks have been erased. And we've been reprogrammed. And as a consequence of that, we don't really know who we are. That's why so many of us are ashamed of who we are. But listen to this Cicero. 1st century Roman writer, statesman and orator said, and I quote, Now I want you to keep you need and you need to buy this tape, you need to get this message, you need to take it and write this section down somewhere and keep it with you at all time. So when your black relatives and your black co-workers and your black friends and your white ones and all the other different color ones that you may have or associate with when they begin to get on your case about that Fred Price, and do you go to that church? You need to quote this to them. This is a white man many moons ago. Cicero. Listen, I quote, there is very little that is more important for any people to know than their history, culture, traditions and language. For without such knowledge, one stands naked and defenseless. Before the world. End of quote. Now get this. Get this now. Cicero, as far as we know, Cicero was a white man. And if he had that much sense to know the importance of your history way back there, we ought to take the cue and learn about our history way up here. But you see what's happened because of this conditioning and because of being reprogrammed, there's so many people of color, blacks, that are ashamed of who they are and they really want to be white because they've been conditioned that way. That's all we know we know nothing about our culture we don't have the foggiest notion about where we came from you know in other words our ancestry our roots we don't know and so all we know is the dominant culture but you need to know who you are you need to know something about your past to give you a little sense of self-worth. Your self-worth should not be put upon you by the dominant culture. It should be put upon you by who you are and where you came from. Amen. Now, I know what some will say. We'll say, well, yeah, but, yeah, but we're Christians. And, and when you're in Christ, Uh, It doesn't matter. North, east, south, and west doesn't matter. Uh, Color doesn't matter. And gender doesn't matter. We're neither bond nor free. Neither Jew nor Greek. Neither male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Well, that is absolutely right. But don't nobody practice it in the church. Especially the white church. They don't practice it because if they did, why did they leave the inner cities of America? And then spend millions to send a missionary four million miles to another country to try to learn another language and dialect that takes them 95 years to learn. And in the meantime, 750 million people die and go to hell while they're trying to learn how to say Paulie <laughs> Moving right along. Someone else has well said, he who does not understand the past is doomed to repeat it. These statements sum up in a nutshell my reasons for bringing up to pass. Let's examine some documentation that sheds much light on how this inferiority of the black man lie got started. In a book entitled Infected Christianity by Alan Davies, copyright 1988 by McGill, Queens University Press, page 13, the author states, and I quote, The philosopher David Hume, who, by the way, happened to be be an 18th century Scottish historian and philosopher. The philosopher David Hume had this to say about the black man. I am apt to suspect the Negroes and in general all the other species of men, for there are four or five different kinds, to be naturally inferior to the whites. There never was a civilized nation of any other complexion than white, nor even any individual imminent either in action or speculation. No ingenious manufacturers amongst them. No arts, no sciences. End of quote. Now, see, this is the attitudinal Perspective of many in the culture. Now see, you can't, as a politician, philosopher, statesman, minister, you can't have, now What? listen to this carefully, you can't have that kind of attitude about other ethnic branches of humanity without sharing it with your wife, your sister, your cousin, and your children. That's why it lasted down till now, because if it was just him and those like him who had it back there in the 18th century, it would have died when they died. Why is it still alive? Because it's been passed on from father to son, from father to son, through the schools, through everything we've been exposed to. It's undeniable. Not nice, not pleasant. I don't like it. I wish it wasn't here. But I'm on assignment. Paymaster told me to deliver the mail. In a book entitled, the, the Peculiar Institution. Now, you know, I told you last time I asked you about them little plastic bags behind the seat in front of you, you know, on airplanes in case you get air sick. You have a bag. I hope you got two bags today. Because I'm going to read. I'm going to I'm going to quote you some things and tell you some stuff now that this. It, you need a, You need a couple of air sick bags. I almost had to use them while I was doing the research. (laughs) I'm sitting there gleaning all this information. (laughs) Pitiful. The Peculiar Institution, that's the title of the book, by Kenneth M. Stamp. Copyright 1956 by Kenneth M. Stamp. Published by Vintage Books. Mr. Stamp is Morrison Professor of history emeritus at the University of California, Berkeley, and is a specialist in 19th century American history. Not a novice. Mr. Stamp being specialist. On page 44 and 45, he makes this revealing observation. I quote, Negroes had to be broken into bondage and carefully trained. How might this be approached? The first step advised those who wrote discourses on the management of slaves was to establish and maintain strict discipline. An Arkansas master suggested the adoption of the army regulations as the discipline in forts they must obey at all times and under all circumstances cheerfully the slave should know that his master is to govern absolutely and he is to be obeyed implicitly the second step was to implant in the bondsman catch this now the second step was to implant in the bondsmen themselves, a consciousness of personal inferiority. They had to know and keep their places. Now see, a pause right there. In in the present circumstances of, of of our nation and country, when this this just this, this 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 Sunday was a second public airing of the program, I would be classified as a nigger out of my place. See, I'm an uppity nigger, and if they could get to me, they'd hang me from the tallest tree. I hope you're getting the enormity of this. Okay, listen now. They had to know and keep their places to feel the difference between master and slave. End of quote. Now, to understand that bondage was their natural status, they had to feel that African ancestry tainted them. See, that's the reason why so many blacks are ashamed of their ancestry because we have been very subtly all through the years, almost 400 years of this, Implanted subtly, subliminally in the minds of us. We, a lot of you, you don't want to know nothing about Africa. You think that's really a no no to know anything about Africa because, see, the media through the power structure has always portrayed Africans as somebody running around with a loincloth on, bathing in a river and hanging from a tree, yes. swinging from tree to tree. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Tarzan and the apes. And so we've been ashamed. See? You might as well fess up. Don't sit there looking at me like that. (laughs) The reason, hey, the reason I know this is because I used to be one of them. (laughs) Until I got liberated, until I got set free. Now I know I'm black and I'm proud of it. And if you don't like it, you can take a long walk on a short pier. <laughs> Ooh, that's Fred Price. Lord Jesus. Yeah, I want. But you hear, you hearing? All right, watch this now. You know, every. I mean, sometime. You know, when you when you go to the doctor and you got a problem and they send you to the pharmacy and get you some medication, sometimes they have to they have to cloud it or, or cover it up in raspberry flavor. That stuff is so nasty and terrible to taste, they have to put some orange flavor on it. Come on. That's why they do that. The orange don't have any healing virtue in it. The raspberry, but that stuff tastes so bad, in order to get you to at least ingest it, they gotta put the other stuff on it. And so pharmacist Fred is putting a little bit of Raspberry on some of this stuff so so y'all can swallow it. I did not graduate from medical school for nothing. Okay, watch this now. To understand that bondage was their natural status, they had to feel that African ancestry tainted them, that their color was a badge of degradation. In the country, they were to show respect for even their master's non-slaveholding neighbors. In the towns, they were to give way on the streets to the most wretched white man. The line between the races must never be crossed. For familiarity caused slaves to forget their lowly station and to become impudent. End of quote. Going on with another aspect, another page in that same book. It would be impossible to teach the blacks. Think about this. It would be impossible. This is the horrendous part of this. Listen to this. It would be impossible to teach the blacks without also teaching the whites. Because you would have to teach the whites why you're teaching the blacks what you're teaching them. And that has to be passed on from father to son, father to son, family to family. On page 148, Professor Stamp points out this fact, and I quote, Here then was the way to produce the perfect slave. Accustom him to rigid discipline, demand from him unconditional submission, impress upon him his innate inferiority, develop in him a paralyzing fear of white men, train him to adopt the master's code of good behavior, and instill in him a sense of complete dependence. And they, I mean, they did the, they did the math. They get a they get. I award them a PhD. What's the best one? Summa, magna, you know, magna cum laude, summa. What's the highest one? Magna, is a Magna the highest one? I give a Magna, I give them the lattes. how about that? They did a masterful job. They have, they worked a game on us. You know it's the truth. It's pitiful. Many of us, we won't even accept anything from another black man until the white man has given his approval. I told you that earlier at the beginning of this thing, when I first got a hold of the word of faith and began to minister, there were no black churches would invite me. I never spoke for blacks. I everywhere I went, all over the world, was for white people. The blacks never invited me. They, they 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 treated me like I had to play. Huh? Yes, they did. They treated, I mean they act like they didn't know I existed. Talked about me like a dog until the white man gave his approval. Once the white man approved me, then a few blacks started listening. That's because of the way we have been trained, see? We have no confidence in ourselves. And we need to. We're somebody. Now, now listen, when I say things like that, I'm not trying to build us up over anybody else. I'm simply trying to get us up to think about ourselves like everybody else thinks about themselves. That's all. In my mind, nobody's any better than anybody else. I told you before, everybody's poo-poo stinks. we need to realize that we are somebody, not because of who we are now, but we've always been somebody. The great, listen, 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 like that philosopher, whoever that Hume guy was. Idiot. Yeah, idiot. Call himself a philosopher, he didn't know anything about history. The greatest building project that was ever instituted On planet Earth, ain't nobody else built nothing like it since that day, was the Tower of Babel. It was orchestrated, engineered by, and architected by a black man. One of Ham's boys. Watch this. In fact, it was such an enormous, stupendous project that God Almighty Himself said, I got to go down and check this out. Because if I left these people alone, they're going to build a tower that reaches into heaven. That's ignorant people that don't have no arts and sciences. You need to know that about yourself. Nimrod was a black man. They didn't tell you that in school, and make you think all we did was go- walk around in the jungle. <laughs> <laughs> Greatest building project engineered ever in the history of the human race. God Himself had to come down and say, "Listen, if we let these people alone, there is nothing that will be restrained from them." That don't sound like no ape to me. You need to feel good about yourself, not better than someone else, but just feel good about you for once in your life. I told you last time about these apes that constructed the pyramids. They don't know to this day. I mean, we shoot, watch this, we shoot rockets to the moon. We shoot probes that are still out there traveling to their destinations to the far reaches of our solar system. We can fly airplanes that can fly faster than a bullet out of a gun. and they haven't yet figured out how them black apes built those pyramids and got the stones they don't they, they don't have no equipment to take the stones today they'll kind of still they don't know how they got those stones up to the top of those pyramids and not only that talking about we don't have any any science or art those pyramids today if you check them out are mathematically constructed beyond the comprehension of the present-day mind those things are astronomically set on the ground that target the stars in the heaven and they did not have any mount palomar observatory telescope neither did they have satellites traveling around the earth with telescopes on them but them black folk built those pyramids in line with the stars feel good about yourself. You somebody. And the only reason we haven't done all that much here is because we've been conditioned not to but even that, when I get back to back to the end of my whole series here, I'm going to show you about some people you don't know nothing about. White folks need to know this. Black folks and the Hispanics need to know this, and the Asian, Asians need to know this, and the Indians need to know this. We've made all kind of marvelous contribution to this country and got no credit for it. Amen. Amen. Hmm. See, now get it, hear me well. I said, feel good about you, not better than someone else. Be sure you get this straight before you go tell a lie on me. Not talking about making you feel better than, just feel good about you. Stop believing that lie about you ain't nothing. Tell you one thing if we we're apes, we we're the smartest ape that ever walked this earth. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Talk to me. <laughs> hmm. Now. Ah, yeah, yeah. Let me go back here again. Uh, on page 148 again. Quoting Professor Stamp, he points out this fact, and I quote, Here then was the way to produce the perfect slave. Accustom him to rigid discipline, demand from him unconditional submission, impress upon him his innate inferiority, develop in him a paralyzing fear of white men, train him to adopt the master's code of good behavior, and instill in him a sense of complete dependence. This, at least, was the goal. End of quote. Now again, notice the big lie, inferiority. Again, I say, you could not teach the slave these things without teaching your own children and your own family. Now, author, writer Fox Butterfield, in his book, All God's Children, copyright 1995 by Fox Butterfield, published by Alfred A. Knopf, New York, on page six points out something very interesting. I quote, emancipation virtually all do you have three of those air sick bags this is this all the and all this stuff's been written this is this is real sick this is when i'm getting ready to read this is real sick see if i didn't know god if i didn't know god if i didn't know jesus if i was not filled with the holy spirit if i did not know how to walk by faith i'd be getting me a gun Biggest, fastest shooting gun that they make. Because this is sick. Listen to this. I quote, before emancipation, virtually no records gave the surname of slaves in South Carolina. Because by law, by law, by law, slaves were deemed chattels personal in the hands of their owners end of quote as a south carolina court succinctly put it i quote they are generally speaking not considered as persons but as things end of quote that's who you are you a thing that's how we have been perceived see that's why it's easy for them to politically and economically subjugate us for all those years. Because you know, you can't. What do you, a thing doesn't have a conscience, doesn't have feeling, a thing doesn't. This was by law. Can you get me? This is by the law, their law in that state. You're not a person, you are a thing. How can a thing feel good about itself? As a white person, and I appeal to all of my white brethren and sister. Because these are the ones that made the law. It wasn't black folk that instituted these laws. It wasn't Hispanics, Latin, Latin people. We wasn't Asians, it wasn't the Indians, it was white folks. Now I'm not, and I've said this all the way through, and some of you are just here for the first time, so you just get you getting in on a train that's been running. See what I mean? So you didn't get all the connective things, so you it just looked like, well, boom, this guy I ain't never coming back. He's picking on us. No, 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 no. It's not that. But if we don't know where the thing started and the causes of it, you can't help to fix it. See. And I've said it before and, you, and, and uh, you folks that are watching me by TV and, and some of you that may be visitors here that are not members of this church that are white, you know I'm telling it truth. You got relatives. They talk about n- niggas terribly. And you know, you're not against Negroes because if you were, you wouldn't even be here. That's obvious. You wouldn't be watching a TV program. You wouldn't be supporting it. But you see, there is such a thing under law called guilt by association. You may not be a trigger man but you carried the spare ammunition you just as guilty you drove the getaway car and you have relatives they talk about us like dogs talk about the inner city and how we act down there and you don't say squat no you don't talk about us and you may not say anything negative but you don't have any ammunition to call them on the carpet and say well have you ever considered thus and so so you're just as guilty Because if what your relatives and friends and co-workers are saying is not true, then why don't you tell them it's not true? But you'd rather have their friendship than stand for righteousness. Because it's gonna cost you, because they'll get on your case. And you would rather have their friendship and their approval than to stand for what's right and straighten out this heinous wrong that's been done to this group of people for 400 years in this country. Now you think about that. See, somebody got to call this thing to the carpet. (laughs) Huh? Okay. (laughs) Ooh. I have a question to ask all my white friends. Some of my best friends are white. (laughs) I have a question for you. How would you like to be considered a thing under the law? Excuse me. Sure got quiet. How would you like to be considered a thing. Instead of a person. How do you think we feel. We have feeling just like you. We read it already. We know it out of one blood. God made all men, we got the same kind of feelings you do. How would you feel being considered a thing? Ushers, I want you to go around the auditorium today and I want you to take out of here all these white things. <laughs> that don't fly too well, does it, friends? See, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Sit where they sit. See, then you get a little bit of a feeling for the enormity of the wrong that has been perpetrated in this country. How would you feel to be considered a thing instead of a person and then have it encoded in the law? Oh, God. wouldn't be so bad if it just somebody had a personal feeling like that, but have it, have it written down in the law. God, where is your heart? Where is the Christ you say you know? To let this go on like this. Author and historian J. E. Rogers, who happened to be a black man, in his book entitled Sex and Race, Volume Three, by J. E. Rogers, Copyright 1944, renewed 1972 by Helga M. Rogers, on page 41 gives us another view of this inferiority concept. And he puts together several statements from different people and flows them together. And I quote, Abraham Lincoln, there is a natural disgust. Now, this is supposedly Abraham Lincoln said this. There is a natural disgust in the minds of nearly all white people at the idea of an indiscriminate amalgamation of the white and black races. And Judge Douglas apparently was the judge that lived back in that time. Judge Douglas evidently basing his chief hope upon the chances of his being able to appropriate the benefits of this disgust for himself said, I am not nor ever have been in favor of bringing about in any way the social and political equality of the white and black races. That I am not nor ever have been in favor of making voters Or jurors of Negroes, nor of qualifying them to intermarry with white people. And I wish to say, in addition to this, that there is a physical difference between the white and black races, which I believe will forever forbid the two races living together on terms of political and social equality. And inasmuch as they cannot so live while they remain together, there must be the position of superior. And I, as much as any other man, am in favor of having the superior position assigned to the white race. End of quote. That's quite a mouthful, don't you think? Superior and inferior. There it is again. Whoop, there it is. In the same book. On page 45, Mr. Rogers quotes a statement made by a southern white man named Albert Stowe Leecraft of Houston, Texas in 1923. I quote, in animal life, crossing of breeds produces what is called a mule. A mule nigger is the aftermath or fruitage of the clandestine visits of a low-down, depraved, degenerate white scallywag who by day lives in the midst of social refinement in the white communities of this Christian world and frequents the colored settlements under the cover of darkness of the night and plants his seed of iniquity secretly with only the eyes of the recording angel watching his footsteps. And those human skunks well know the inevitable birth of their progenies brings disgrace To the decent humanity. A child brought into life through such a union of mixed bloods of strange flesh is neither a white child or a nigger. He is not white and he is not black. And the offspring of social error does not inherit the spiritual blessings of God or the fellowship of man. He is a social outcast of society, a living monument of the walks of life, visualizing the abortion of the plans of God Almighty, picturing the perfidy of immoral humanity. The laws of nature do not permit the crossbreeding of foreign seeds of life. A coating of tar will never make an ink spot white. And a million years of evolution will never bring forth a clean, pure, spotless, skin-white child after the ancestral blood has been polluted with the blood of Negro taint. The big, burly, flat-footed, thick-lipped, Spread nose, black skin, kinky head nigger of the age, are all of the blood of Cain, the man God made black. I'm my beloved's and he is mine, The banner over me is love. I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. I'm my beloved and he is mine. His banner over me is love. His banner over me is love. I got to sing after reading that. See, that's the way we have been thought of. And they still think, some still think that today. They, just won't, they don't come out in the open. But they made a mistake by putting it in print. Because that old lie about if you want to hide something from the black man, put it in a book. You missed it with the kid. <laughs> you put it in a book, I find, I'll find it. But boy, is that awesome. See, these are the attitudes. It's where all this stuff came from. See, you, you get on my case for calling you a nigga. That's all right for the white man to call you a nigga, isn't it? If I use the term, not call you, but if I use the term, some of you got so hostile when I first started on this series, that first one that I did, when I gave a presentation about some of the words and phrases that I would use, I could tell you tried to be cool. Bless your little hearts. I, you know, hey, I know you, you, you sat there and you winced just like somebody had hit you with a brick. Some of you right now having a problem with it. You need to be delivered. They're calling you a nigga all the time. But you know what? That doesn't make you one. A rose by any other name is still a rose. Uh All right. Moving right along. I wonder if any white people think that way today. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Yes, Yes. I, I will repeat that. I will say that again. I wonder if any white people think that way today. Sobering question, don't you think? In the book, Beyond the Rivers of Ethiopia, by Dr. Mensah Odebill, copyright 1993, by Dr. Mensah Odebill, Numa Life Publishing, the author makes several insightful comments that I think fit in perfectly with our subject. On page 12, he says, and I quote, the spirit of racism thrives on misinformation and stereotyping. Instead of portraying people in the likeness of God, it seeks to devalue the worth of people who are different from us as not being as good as we are. Just because somebody does not talk the way you talk, dress the way you dress, and look the way you look, does not in any way imply that they are inferior or superior to you. Different does not mean better. That's good. I like that. End of quote. On page 12 and 13, he points out, and I quote, Job said in chapter 13, verse 1 and 2 of his book, Lo, mine eye has seen all this. Mine ear hath heard and understood it. What you know, the same do I know also. I am not inferior unto you. That's from the Bible. That's an awesome statement. Going on, he quotes, Inferiority is developed when you do not see what someone else sees. Hears what he hears, understand what he understands, or know what he knows. So then if any individual or group of people meant to dominate you, they would endeavor to manipulate what you see, hear and understand when someone controls what you see hear, understand and know he can make you feel inferior about yourself and develop a sense of self hatred and an alienation alienation that's why you have that's why you have a black crime black-on-black crime poor kids they they have no sense of self-worth so they see each other as nothing you an animal boom i am blow you away I've said it before, you don't see them going out to Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills and shooting no white folk. And they're the ones that did the stuff to you, not your black brother or sister. But because we have self-hatred for ourselves and we don't see ourselves as valuable, we go around and blow each other away. Because you're a dog anyway. you ain't nothing but a thick-lipped, wide-nosed nigga. Might as well shoot you. See? And all of this has been programmed. We got to come out of the program. I hereby cancel that program. I cancel that turkey. Huh? I delete that. If you think what the author has said is just wishful thinking, I can prove it true by documented evidence let's see what willie lynch had to say about this idea in 1712 i quote gentlemen i greet you here on the bank of the james river in the year of our lord 1712. first i shall thank you the gentlemen of the colony of virginia for bringing me here i am here to meet i am here to help you solve some of your problems with slaves Your invitation reached me on my modest plantation in the West Indies where I have experienced or experimented with some of the newest and still the oldest methods of control of slaves. Ancient Rome would envy us if my program were implemented. As our boat sails south on the James River, named for our illustrious king, whose version of the Bible we cherish. That's how Christ has gotten such a bad name around the world. I'm here to show you how to control your slaves, your chattel, your things. And I just came down the river that was named for our illustrious King James who authorized our Bible to be written. Hmm. Yeah, but they ain't never read it. You can't read it and come up with this mess. Moving right along. Uh, ancient Rome would us if my program were implemented. As our boat sailed south on the James River, named for our illustrious king, whose version of the Bible we cherish, I saw enough to know that your problem is not unique. While Rome used cords of wood as crosses for standing human bodies along its highways in great numbers, you are here using the tree and the rope on occasion. I caught the whiff of a dead slave hanging from a tree a couple of miles back. You are not only losing a valuable stock by hangings, you are having uprising. Slaves are running away. Your crops are sometimes left in the fields too long for maximum profit. You suffer occasional fires. Your animals are killed. Gentlemen, you know what your problems are. I do not need to elaborate, but I do need to quit. Sorry about that. I tried to stretch it, but the time is gone. We walk by faith, not by sight. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Please feel free to comment and share. And if you feel led to give a donation, I gratefully appreciate your support. And I leave you with this word from Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Enough said.